I just go ahead and say it because we said it a lot, but I'll go ahead and say happy Mother's Day to all you moms because I haven't had a chance to say it to all of you yet. This is a, a great day for us to say thank you to moms, but I got to admit it is a complicated day for a lot of reasons. For one thing, there is like, and if you're a mom, you know this, saying the obvious here, but there's so much entailed in being a mom that it's just, it gets complicated. Sometimes you feel inadequate to the task that you've been called to take on, but who else is going to do it if you don't, right? Mother's Day can be complicated because maybe the relationship you have with your mom or the relationship you have with your children would best be described as difficult, and Mother's Day has a way of bringing that to the forefront. Mother's Day can be rough because sometimes maybe your mom is still not, is not with us anymore, and so it's a bittersweet thing as you remember that. You know, I'll say this, whatever, whatever your experience of, of mother is, I would just ask that you would simply give thanks to God for your mom, whether she's with us anymore or not, if for no other reason that she gave you life. And if your mom is with us, then, um, you know, maybe you should reach out to her today. So yeah, we got that. Well, before we move on into the message, I'm hearing a car horn outside, so if anybody wants to just take your key and click it just in case it was your car, who knows? We'll hear it the whole sermon. Oh, somebody got it. I think. I'm going to hear it the whole sermon. I don't know. Well, we can, I think we can all agree on this on Mother's Day. It, it's, being a mom is not an easy job. I just recently read the results of a survey. It was done in the UK, in, the, in Britain, and it, there's like so many demands on a mom's time and energy, and this survey really brought it out. This survey determined that moms are the most quizzed or questioned people on the planet. And you're like, oh, yeah, I get that. Here's what they found out. A thousand moms were surveyed, and they said from breakfast to afternoon tea time, remember this is the UK, the average mom gets asked a question every two minutes and 36 seconds. And some of you are going, no, no, much more than that. That translates out to about 105,000 questions a year. Questions spike during mealtime. You all know that. Do you know who asks the most questions? Four-year-old girls. <laughs> I've, I have two girls, and that is absolutely the truth, man. Just question after question. After. You know who asks the least amount of questions? Nine-year-old boys. Again, boy, there's a shock. Having been a boy, I can say that. That's true. Now, here's some of the questions. Mom said, here's the toughest questions we get, and I'm ranked them in order. Number five, maybe you can see how you would answer these. Uh, how do fish breathe underwater? And number four, why is the sky blue? Number three, this is my favorite one, why are, what are shadows made of? Number two, where does the sky end? And number one, the, the hardest question moms get asked, why is water wet? I don't know. So some of us men, we're, we're fathers in the room. Do we not also get questions? As a dad, I get questions all the time, and I'm expected to know the answer to it. Guys, isn't that right? I'll just let you in on something. Cat's out of the bag, girls. I just make stuff up. My favorite question that I get as a dad is, what's that guy doing? Again, I just make stuff up because I have no idea. There's no way to answer that. It's, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's hard just to, especially we're talking about moms today, just acknowledge moms. You've you got a lot, just the questions the kids ask. It's one thing to talk about how much a mom does, and it's another thing to actually see what a mom does. What I wanted to do today is to illustrate just how much a mom takes on in her life and to do that, I thought it'd be interesting to have a guy show us what a mom takes on. And I was thinking, we, and I need, I need a volunteer for this. I need the strongest, most capable guy in the room for this. I see several guys already putting your hand up. I'm 
busy already. I've got to preach the sermon, so I'm going to need somebody else to <laughs> You guys aren't laughing. So, uh, actually, well, I think uh, I've already got a volunteer. We're gonna, we've asked Corey to come down here. Where's Corey? Corey is going to come down. He's going to stand in for all men. Don't let us down, Corey. There's a lot riding on this. All right, so Corey is going to stand in for all men. He's going to help us illustrate what a typical mom does. And I've actually got a list. of I've, I've, One of our moms gave me a list of what she does in a day. So, Corey, are you ready? First thing in the morning, you're going to need your coffee. Anybody else need their coffee to get going in the morning? Okay, so mom needs her coffee. Mama needs her cereal bowl and her cereal. So here's your cereal bowl. Oh, you need some cereal. Oh, and you made cereal for the kids, and then you're going to need the mop because the kids, of course, spilled their cereal bowl. Let's see what else. Oh, and in the midst of all of this, you've got to get ready for work. So where's our curling iron? Oh, yeah, you got to make yourself presentable. Looking good there, Corey, in your makeup. Yeah, got to get the makeup. And, oh, you got to brush your teeth. No explanation needed there. We got that. And, uh, oh, your kid needs a lunch. You've got to make a lunch, right? There you go. So what else do we need here? Oh, you need the backpack. The kid's got to have the backpack to get out. The sc- Don't forget that or you'll be driving to school later taking that because the kid will call you from the office. And then what do we got here? Oh, and the dog. If you don't want the dog to mess in the house, you've got to take the dog for a walk. So there you go, Corey. You can wow, and we haven't even got the kids off to school yet. Oh, and, and you know what? Mom, I de- where's that shirt I wanted to wear? You said you would have that shirt clean for us. So you've got to do the laundry, Corey. All right. Well, he's holding up so far pretty well. You got to do the dishes, buddy. There's like nothing. The kids are like using dirty dishes to, uh, oh, don't put it in the basket. You got (laughs) to, what are we going to do here? There we go. All right. And then, oh, what does that smell? Oh, that's O'Day Jr.'s diaper. We need to take the trash out. Oh, where is that smell? There we go. Take the trash out. And then. Oh, yeah, you need the diaper bag because you got a play date at the park. So yeah, make, why don't you make sure that everything's in there that you need, all the, the wipes and the – go ahead, check it out, make sure everything's in there. You know, and the kids are playing, and, yeah, they will step in the mud pile, so you need an extra pair of shoes. There you go. And, um, you know, Corey is a man after God's own heart, so he needs to have a quiet time. So he's going to try to squeeze that in at the park while the kids are playing. So go ahead and read your Bible and try to get a little peace and quiet there. Good luck with that. Whew. You know what? The kid's been playing at the park. Germs, Corey, you need to squirt a little bit of this stuff on your hands. Here, put your hand out there. There we go. A little <laughs> hand sanitizer. All right. And you yeah, got some quality reading material here, too. There we go. And then, oh, yeah, you got to go grocery shopping for something for dinner tonight. There you go. How's he doing? He's all right? Give him a hand. He's going to need it. Kids go to the park, it's time to, oh, yeah, they, got, they need a bubble bath. And we're not even going to go into what happens when they forget to turn the water off. But then, oh, and somebody's cranky and needs a nap. Where's blanket? So you spend the next 15 minutes looking for blanket. There you go, found it. And then you're going to need the toys because who takes a nap? Who actually falls asleep when they take a nap? Grown-ups, not kids. So let's go ahead and make, yeah, there you go. Good job. All right. <laughs> Oh, and you know what? Oh, it's 5 o'clock. Starting to get hungry. Oh, hubby's going to need something to eat, right? Make some spaghetti. And then, oh, yeah, and the kids want to play, so take the basketball out and play a little while the spaghetti's cooking. Hopefully it doesn't burn. Oh, there we got it. There we go. And, oh, yeah, and then 
you forgot that they had dance recitals, so you're going to have to make a brown bag supper instead of that spaghetti that you cooked. And then, oh yeah, it's bedtime story time now. We're starting to wind down, so let's get that. Red tractor, that's a good reading choice there. Oh, and then, you know, after the kids are asleep, a little lipstick, a little romantic time with the spouse. Oh, you don't have time for that. (laughs) And at the end of the day, if you collapse in bed, you need the shirt that says, world's okayest mom. All right, so how are we going to put this on? <laughs> Give Corey a hand. <laughs> can, can you make? You're, you're good. You're good. Actually, if you just want to set it down here. Do you need help? <laughs> Peter, can you give us a hand here? Never mind. Look, he's so capable. Good job, Corey. Thank you very much. That's awesome. I think you get the point. I think moms are pretty busy, but I don't think you have to be a mom to appreciate that all of us today are pretty busy. It's a, it's a tough role to play. But honestly, can any of us say that we're not overloaded these days? It's like one of the characteristics of our culture and our society is we're just all maxed out and overloaded and have no idea how to put one more thing into our schedule or into our life. We're maxed out in schedule. We're maxed out in our finances. We're maxed out in our relationships. I mean, just, that's just the pace that we live. Several years ago, Kirsten and I, this is pre-kids, so we had a lot more time on our hands. It was, we were in a church where I was the student minister, just the junior and senior high kids, and I went to watch a ball game one night. It's, it's summertime. Some of the kids were playing from our youth group. I'm sitting in the bleachers talking to one of the parents, and um, he was telling me, like, man, this is, like, this is the fifth thing today that we've been to. Now, he had four kids, and he's like, it's just constant. This is the, it's like the 20th thing we've done this week, and it was like Tuesday. <laughs> and he said, we, we're constantly shuttling our kids around. We're comparing calendars. We're here and there, and it's like dance and, and softball and soccer and baseball and music lessons, and just we're shuttling kids everywhere, and we're just kind of crossing paths. And, and as I was sitting there listening to him, I should get bonus points for this. I didn't say what I was thinking. I think I s- came out with something like, man, that sounds rough. But later when Kirsten and I were talking, I came out with this. I'm like, man, when, can you believe this? When we have kids, we are not going to schedule ourselves so crazily. We're not going to go 20 ways from Sunday with our kids. Yeah, we were all so smart before we have kids. Yeah, that's all how it happens. And, you know, even if you don't have kids, I think you know what it's like to feel overwhelmed by the pressures of life. It's it's something that our culture has just done to ourselves, and we've participated because we are our culture. We've just figured out how to cram more and more and more stuff into our schedules and into into life, and it just translates into an overloaded life. And we get it, and we know what it's like. And here's the thing. It is a very small step from overloaded to overwhelmed. I like how author Steve Farrar puts it. He says, we're overwhelmed, overworked, overcommitted, overanxious, overmatched, and overextended. Our tanks are unempty, and we're running on fumes. Can anybody here relate to that sensation? And whether it's just a a season in your life that you think you're going to get through or if it's been like an extended period of your life, we've just crammed so much into our schedules and our budgets and our routines that we're just overwhelmed. The majority of people are. And I'll go ahead and say what we already know. I know I'm stating the obvious, but it is not healthy to live an overloaded, overwhelmed life. And, And we all know that, and we continue to participate in it. It's not a good thing. It's not healthy to be so maxed out financially 
that you are just praying that nothing breaks because you have no more room in your budget to handle anything. It is not healthy to be so overscheduled that if you miss one traffic light, it's the difference between making it and not. It's one, one red light throws you into a temper tantrum that a two-year-old would be proud of. It, it's just not good for It's not good for us to be so overextended in our relationships that we really don't have time for anyone or anything, even ourselves. And, and you know this. And then what happens when we get to this point? We can't enjoy the stuff that we do have because we're always thinking about what we have to do next or what we have to do to pay this thing off. And you can't, your kids can't even enjoy what they're doing because it seems like you're constantly shuttling them from one thing to another and you never have a time just to sit down and relax and enjoy what you're doing right then. And I am not judging you. Believe me, I'm not. I'm not standing here pointing my finger at you. I've been there. I've done this. I wrote this sermon for me as much as you. And you may even feel like, yeah, it's not really good, but I don't really have a choice. Because if I want my kids to succeed, I have to, what, fill in the blank with whatever. If I'm going to get them into college and get that scholarship, I'm going to get them to, to do well because everybody else is so competitive, I just have to do this to keep up. Or you may say, I really don't want to do this right now, but if I don't, I'll fall behind in my career. Or if, if I just... I know this is not healthy right now, but I just see the light at the end of the tunnel. If I just go ahead and do this one more thing, and then I'll be happy. And we do that to ourselves, and we keep pushing the boundary further and further. I have to say, though, as a pastor, it is hard to watch people live an overextended life in whatever area, in whatever arena. And here's, here's what happens. When you live a maxed-out lifestyle, eventually the pace and pressures of that life will eventually exceed your capacity. Always. <coughs> when you live a maxed out lifestyle, the pace and pressures of life are going to exceed your capacity. It'll happen. But it doesn't have to be that way. That's why I'm so excited to launch into this new series today. Just give me some space. Because I feel like when we live with some space, some margin, a gap between what we can do and what we're actually doing, that creates so much freedom in our lives. It, I think it's the way that God actually intended for us to live. <coughs> So here we got, like, here's my capacity financially, and here's how much I'm actually spending. And that right there is that space, that margin, that breathing room, that gap. Here's how much time I have in a day. Here's how much I've actually scheduled myself to do. So something goes wrong, I've got somewhere to go with this without just immediately having my whole world crash down around me. We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks, about how do we learn to live that way. So you've got to come back for that. You know, I think Jesus had a lot to teach about this. It's interesting, if you think about this, of all the people that Jesus interacted with, because he taught for three and a half years, just preaching and teaching, of all of them, I think he only zeroed in on one person in particular to say, I think that you're overwhelmed. I think that you're overextended. I think you're overloaded, and we need to sit down and talk about it. You may or may not be familiar with this person. If you want to turn in the Bible to the Gospel of Luke, we're going to look at her account and her true life story today. Her name was Martha. Luke chapter 10, it's easier to find in the Bible if you just, honestly, if you don't know much about the Bible, go to the table of contents. There's <laughs> it's absolutely appropriate here. If you've got a smartphone with a Bible app on it, just pull it up in there. We're going to be in, in Luke chapter 10. We'll get there in a second. Now, as we get there, I just want to tell you a little background here. Jesus taught for three and a half years, and he would have like thousands of people sometimes come to listen to him preach and teach. He was just this phenomenal teacher, a very powerful and magnetic personality. People were just drawn to him. But out of all the thousands of people who had come, there was really only an inner circle of maybe 100 or 200 people that really got close to Jesus. 
in that inner circle, you got the 12 who would eventually become the apostles, like Peter, James, and John. Earlier in Luke 10, before what we're going to look at, there's this moment where Jesus calls together 72 of his closest inner circle, and he sends them out two by two to go out to different cities and towns and villages that he's eventually going to go to. He says, I want you to go prepare the way, and I want you to get things ready and preach the good news in these towns. So you got that inner circle there. This inner circle probably also included Martha and her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus. They were probably part of this inner circle. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they all lived together. They lived in a little suburb just a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. It's still there today. It's a little city called Bethany. Now, does the name Lazarus sound familiar to anybody? You know, Lazarus is that guy who was a very close friend of Jesus who, who actually died. And he was dead and buried four days before Jesus came and raised him back from life. Now, here's the thing. That's like five months in the future from what we're talking about here. So Jesus shows up at Martha's home, at Lazarus' home, and, and that's something other, just, this is an aside, doesn't have anything to do with the message. I just found this very interesting. A lot of scholars believe Lazarus may have been one of those 72 people that Jesus sent out to go preach in the villages. So there you go. Well, at the end of Luke chapter 10, we see, 10, we see Jesus. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He arrives in Bethany, this little suburb, and his friends invite him in to, to dinner. Let's read what happened. This is down in verse 38, and I'm just going to read down through verse 42. You can follow along on the screen if you don't have it open in your Bible. <coughs> It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to Jesus and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. And we'll go ahead and stop there. You can see the dynamics of this situation shaping up from a mile away, can't you? So you just got Jesus coming in. He's been healing, and he's been teaching. He's been preaching. He's been just seeing all these people. And then Martha says, hey, Jesus, why don't you come stay in our house? I'll make a meal for you. You bring the apostles along with you, and we'll just hang out. So Martha goes in the kitchen, starts cooking for Jesus and all the guys. Mary goes into the living room and sits down and just kind of listening to Jesus talk to his disciples. She's just, maybe she was even being like the gracious, oh, so Jesus, how's it been going? Have those Pharisees been bothering you again? You can talk, this is a safe place to talk, Jesus. Just kick your sandals off and relax. And everything's good. Fair division of labor, right? Martha's in the kitchen making the hors d'oeuvres and Mary's handing, handling the social stuff. It's great, right? Not so great. Martha's not really happy with the situation. After a few minutes, Martha snaps. She blows a gasket, and she is ticked. And hey, I get it. How many of you had siblings who disappeared when it was time to do the dishes or other chores? Amazing how every single time in my house growing up that as soon as dinner was done, my sister had to go to the bathroom. And what a coincidence. As soon as dishes were done, she came out. How does that work? My sister, if she ever listens to this message, I uh, love my sister, and she's a responsible adult, but I just still have a little bit of resentment about that. And Martha apparently did too. And they're both grown adults, and she comes out, and she just lets Jesus have it. What does Martha do with her rising frustration? Does she peek around the corner trying to make eye contact with Mary? Like, you know, come, come here. Does she start banging pots and pans around, hoping to get her attention? No, she does not do either one of those things. She just comes out of that kitchen like a rocket, and here's what's interesting. She doesn't go talk to his, her sister, Mary. She goes straight to Jesus, which I guess I get. Go to the highest authority in the room. 
And she, she starts, I, I picture her with a wooden spoon in her hand. <laughs> Listen, first words out of her mouth, Lord, don't you care? Now, it's stated in the form of a question here in the scripture, but was it actually a question? I don't think so. In my opinion, it's a question formed as an accusation. You don't care, Jesus, which is, so <laughs> really? Are we not talking about Jesus who left the glory of heaven to become one of us, who humbled himself and became a servant? Are we not talking about the Jesus who would give his life for the sins of mankind? Are we not talking about the Jesus who's basically been homeless for the last three and a half years? Are we not talking about Jesus who gave everything up for everyone, and yet Martha has the audacity to say to him, you don't care. You don't care about what I'm going through. You have no idea how hard I'm working. You have no idea, and you're just letting my sister sit there. And she's waving, and then it gets worse. You, like, you're cold and uncompassionate. Don't you care that my sister has left me? And the word there is literally abandoned me. Don't you care that my sister has just left me to do all the work for myself? That's what it looks like when you live life in an overextended manner. You start looking around what everyone else is not doing, and you start feeling sorry for yourself about all the things that you are doing. And you throw this little pity party for yourself about how you're the only one who works. No one else cares as much as you do. No one else does as much as you do. If you didn't do this, then it wouldn't get done. And so I'm going to go ahead and... Sound familiar? Anybody? And Mary's just getting... Or Martha's just getting warmed up. Here's the coup de grace. She tells the Son of God, and I picture her with the spoon now, listen, tell her to help me. Because you don't want to know what I'm going to do with this spoon if she doesn't get out into that kitchen. Which is why it's a good thing I'm not the Messiah. Because <laughs> I would have had a few ideas of what she could have done with that spoon. You know? and she's, she's telling Jesus what to do. Tell my sister to get in the kitchen and help me. What did Jesus do? How did he respond? Did he escalate the situation? Did he get louder to match her loudness? Did he start yelling? No. Did he say, listen, this is so inappropriate to talk to the Son of God this way. This is going in your permanent record. No. He's very calm. Martha, Martha. Why did he say her name twice? I always wondered about that. I like, is it like Martha, Martha, Martha? <laughs> or here's my, my pet theory is that she's talking and she never helps me. Martha. And she's always, the, Martha. It's like you had to say it twice just to get her attention. Stop talking and listen to me. You're so upset and you're so worried about so many things. And he doesn't accuse her of anything bad. He just points out the obvious. You're obviously worried about a lot of stuff. Fair observation. But only one thing's needed. I love how Jesus just gets right down to the heart of the matter. I love how Jesus just simplifies things. And what he's doing here is he's pointing out something that we all know, and we don't always take time to appreciate, though, that there are some moments in life that are incredibly special, but you don't realize it at the time. It's only in hindsight that you go, I think that was one of the most important times in my life. It didn't seem like it at the time. It just seemed like ordinary life. But now as I look back on it, I realize that was one of the most special things that ever happened to me that I got to witness. There are some people who can say, I can look back on a time in my life, and now I realize in hindsight that it was one of the most important things that ever happened in human history. Gettysburg Address, did anybody think it was special the day that Abraham Lincoln delivered it? Abraham Lincoln didn't think it was anything significant the day he gave it. And yet we look and we go, that's one of the high points of human history, what he said. I think what Jesus is trying to get her to realize is this is not only one of the highlights of your life, and you're going to look back on this, this is one of the highlights of human history. How many people can say that they had the Son of God sit in their living room? How many people can say, out of all of 
the people who were living on the planet at that time, a very small fraction of them actually got to see Jesus or listen to him preach or be healed by him or eat dinner with him. Out of all the people who've ever lived on planet Earth from the beginning of time until now, it's an even smaller percentage of people. This is one of those moments that not everybody can say, Jesus stayed in my house. Jesus himself pointed this out earlier in Luke 10. He said this in Luke 10, 23 and 24. He turned to a private, in a private aside to his disciples and he said, fortunate the eyes that are seeing what you're seeing. There are plenty of prophets and kings who would have given their right arm to see what you're seeing, but never got so much as a glimpse. To hear what you're hearing, but never got so much as a whisper. I picture Jesus just calming Martha down saying, listen, Martha, can I just make something very clear for you? Food is good, and I need to eat. We all need to eat. Eventually, we're going to, and I'm going to appreciate very much whatever it is you're cooking in the kitchen. But you're not always going to have me here. There are going to be people in the future, and I am one of them, Brian Fakes, who would have just loved to have said, I sat there and listened to Jesus teach. Food is important, but what Mary has chosen is more important. She's sitting here spending time with me. And I'm not going to take that away from her. And I just wonder how many of us sitting here in this room or me standing here in this room just need to sit down with Jesus and have a little heart-to-heart and let him help us bring some things into focus about what's really important in our lives today. Those moments that we are missing because we've just crammed so much into our lives that if we would just slow down and hit pause, that he could say, maybe... Maybe this pace of life is not good for you. It's not sustainable. Maybe the things you're doing to yourself need to change. Could anybody benefit from a little heart-to-heart with Jesus? Let me just ask, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you, you came here today and you're just overwhelmed and you're exhausted and you know in your most honest moment that this is not really good for you? That the, the pace of your spending or the pace of your schedule or the pace of your relationships is just out of control? And and a reality is I need to do something about it. I just don't even know what to do. Again, you don't have to raise your hand, but I would I would ask you to seriously think about that. Is it possible that you've been ignoring the signs of an out of balance life? And maybe God brought you here today to get your attention and say, Hey, hey, time out. I think you need to ad- address this and deal with it. You know, there's so many ways that it shows up in your life and maybe you've been seeing the signs and ignoring them. For one thing, it's it, it could be resentment and you've got a strong burning thing right here just like Martha did, and you haven't recognized it for what it was. Sometimes overload shows up as being frustrated easily, and you just snap. Or it could show up as you're just scattered, and you just feel like, I I can't even think straight. Sometimes for some people, they just overeat, they overdrink, they overmedicate when their life is going too fast. For some other people, it comes down to seeking every opportunity to withdraw from other people. And uh, some people just isolate themselves, but some people, they come to places like this. They go to movies, they binge on Netflix, they read constantly, and, and reading is great, but it gets to the point where it's separating them from other things in their life because they're just finding some place of solace and it's a symptom of something bigger. Some people, pornography is not about sex all the time. Sometimes it's just about escape. For some people, they deal with being too busy, ironically, by throwing themselves into more stuff. And you may have found yourself doing this. And somebody's asked you to do something and you hear your mouth saying, yes, I'll do that. And your mind is screaming, no, no, no. I can't take on one more thing. And you're thinking, why am I doing that? But some people, that's how they deal with being too busy. Other people, it's kind of what's at work is my finances are horrible and I'm going to make myself feel better by doing a little retail therapy. Credit cards are already too high. I'm going to go spend some money to make myself feel better. It's, hey, everybody does stuff like this, so we're not judging here. We're just asking the question, are some of these symptoms showing up in my life and do I need to do something about it? 
you know, if you're saying, yeah, you know what, that's me, can I just ask a follow-up question? Again, do you think a little sit-down heart-to-heart with Jesus might help you a little bit? A little time where he can just say, listen, I've got a better way. Just pull up a chair. This is the whole point of the whole message. If you've missed everything else, this is the time to tune in. We, we begin to create healthy space in our lives when we let Jesus teach us what's most important in our lives. The things that we thought were important, I think we're going to look back and say, no, it wasn't really, I wish I had done more of, the, why not get ahead of that right now and let Jesus tell us what's most important? I'm not asking you to change anything today. You come back the next few weeks and I'll give you some things that Jesus gives us. But today, all I'm asking you to do is think and pray. I'm, I'm not challenging you to clear your calendar. I'm not challenging you to bust your budget. I'm not challenging you to say no to 10 relationships. All I'm asking you to do, will you commit this? And I'm committing to this. Every day this week, seven days, you'll take five minutes to just talk to Jesus about the state of your life and the state of your schedule and the state of your overall well-being. Will you do that? You know, just write it down on something so you remember to do this because t- next week I'm going to ask you if you did this. Five minutes, seven days this week with Jesus. Maybe, maybe Jesus has something he's been trying to say to you and he said your name twice. In fact, why don't we just talk to him right now? Would you join me in prayer? Father, I want to come to you and I, I just want to uh, say thank you for how much you've loved us in spite of like all the dumb things that we do and that you reached out your hand to us when we didn't even know you existed. Thank you for sending Jesus to not only show us the way to live, but to save us from the way we already have lived. I just pray that you would, as you already do and as you already committed to, just teach us how to live well. That you would help us to trade that old life for a new life, the kind of life that you always intended us for us to have. And Father, today I just pray that as you're, you're here, I believe you're here, I believe you've been speaking to people. I just ask that you would give people courage to act on what you've been saying to them. And I pray that we would all be different because of what we hear. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.